Amen. The Word of God speaks to us in various ways, and what we've just experienced is the voice of God speaking to us, breaking in on us. It's a very clear message that you are not alone. Someone needs to hear that this morning. I don't know about you, but sometimes I encounter situations that just change when I'm with someone else. It's not the actual circumstance or the situation. I don't know if you've ever been scared of the dark by yourself. It's amazing just what the presence of another person who may be just as scared of the dark as you, but together. That's why we need His Spirit. Because then I'm never alone. His Spirit lives in me and I'm never alone. In any circumstance, in any situation, an enemy would like to convince you that you are and put fear in your life, but we know fear is not of God. It's not of God. And that's a lie. He has not left you. He has not forsaken you. You may have left Him. You may have forsaken Him, but He has not left you. He is near to every one of us today. He is close to every one of us today. So that's why I reach out to Him, because I know He's there. I know He's there. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Man, thank you for being here today. Thank you to all of our guests for being here today. Man, our prayer is that you encounter God in some way. You're going to see a lot of things happen. You're going to see expressions of people as they encounter God. And our prayer is that you respond to God in some way as well. Amen. And the Spirit of God is in this place. He's doing a work. He's going to continue to do a work in our hearts and lives today. Amen. I'm going to read a couple of verses of Scripture here. Actually, a few verses, not a couple. I believe the Lord wants to speak to us today. He wants to challenge us today. What a fantastic message we heard last week about the treasure. Amen. I hope you've been seeing treasure this week. I hope you've been finding treasure this week. I hope you've been digging for treasure this week. And I believe that God wants to continue to challenge us today. As we read from John chapter 4, this is a passage of scripture that you may recognize as we begin to read. John chapter 4, verse 31. It says this, In the meanwhile his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? And Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye there yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. It's a famous passage of scripture, famous challenge of Jesus to his disciples. I read to you this morning, and I want to preach to you from this thought, simply lifting my vision. Lifting my vision. And I want us to pray right now that God would do that in each of our lives today. That God would help us to lift our vision this morning. Join with me in prayer. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus, for today. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for your spirit which is in this place, for your presence that we feel in this place. Lord, for the work that you are doing in this place. And Lord, we come before you right now believing and trusting in your word and the power of your word that it has a work to do in our hearts and lives. And Lord, I pray that you would move, that you would touch, Lord, that you would lift our vision, that you would anoint our eyes to see, Lord, what you see, God. Lord, that you would challenge us, Lord, that we can leave this place thinking different, seeing different, challenged by your word. Lord, we give you praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Lifting my vision. Lifting my vision. I take this thought from a prayer that I've been praying for over a year about lifting my vision. About encountering God in a new way. As we look at these verses, we provide some context of what is taking place in this story. That Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. We catch the tail end of this conversation of Jesus with his disciples. And this has happened after a famous encounter that Jesus has had with a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. And this story found in John chapter 4 is a story that is full of all kind of parallels and lessons for us in our life. In fact, I, I have it marked in my Bible. I, I usually mark or have notes someplace where uh, I've heard a sermon or something preached about. And in fact, I don't know if he realizes it or not, but I've heard Brother Gene preach on John chapter 4 more than any other passage that he's preached on. And it's full of passages that, that challenge us, full of statements that challenge us as all the way from the start as the chapter begins with Jesus saying, I must go to Samaria, that Jesus had to go to a place that no one else wanted to go. And God still goes to those places today. But we find that the disciples, the, the encounter with the woman at the well, which we are leaving as, as far as this message goes, and Jesus has that whole discussion with her, this woman of... of disrepute of ill repute and and his disciples have left they have gone into the nearby city to buy food and Jesus remains at that well and after his disciples have left this woman comes to the well and she is a woman looking to avoid others because of choices that she has made in her life because of the circumstances of her lifestyle and she had made such choices and was living such a life that it would cause other people to talk about her. And so she goes to the well when no one else will likely be there to avoid the uh, uncomfortableness of people's comments, to avoid the stares that would surely come when they saw her. When she gets to the well, she encounters Jesus and a conversation ensues during which Jesus reveals that, or who he is to this lady, that he is the Messiah, that he is the one that they have all been seeking for. And he tells her at the well that he has water that will take away your thirst forevermore. I'm thankful that Jesus is not able just to come and touch us in a moment, but he can revolutionize and change our life, that he can take away the emptiness, that he can take away the thirst in our lives. And I'm thankful that he still does that today. After this encounter with Jesus, she comes to a realization that this is more than just a man, that he is more than just a teacher, but this is at the very least a prophet from God. And she leaves and runs back to the city, those people who have hounded her, those people who hold her in no regard, those people who look down on her, and she runs back to the city to let them know that there is a man at Jacob's well that they have to come and meet. 
We find that between the time of her leaving Jesus and, and those of the city coming out to see Jesus, we find that the disciples also return. And we find this conversation taking place. They have gone to the city to buy food. They have been on a journey for a while. In fact, the story begins by telling us that Jesus himself is tired and that the disciples are hungry. And so they leave to get food and they come back with food and they begin to have this conversation with Jesus. They tell Jesus to eat and Jesus says, I don't need any food. He said, I've, while you've been gone, I've had meat that you don't know about. And, and, and they're, they're uh, confused by what Jesus has said and they begin to question, has anyone brought him food while we've been gone? And Jesus says, no, you don't get it, that my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And Jesus challenges them with a few words and, and, and he brings this encounter to a close in this chapter and, and, and he tells us, he gives us the words that we find so familiar in John chapter 35 to, he says, there are yet four months and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white already to harvest. That Jesus tells them to look up. He tells them to look on the fields. He tells them to lift their eyes and to see something else. Now these two phrases, just small phrases, lift up and to look on. That, that phrase lift up has the idea of a sail being lifted up on a ship. The idea of look on, it means to view attentively, to contemplate, to learn by looking. And so we have this idea that there is something that we can learn when we look at the field. And we also have this idea that as a sail goes up on a ship, that it does not do that by itself, but that act of lifting up must be done by somebody, that there is a little bit of effort involved, that there is a little bit of work involved that goes along with lifting up. That it's more than just a phrase, it's more than just take a glance. But he is saying, take your vision, take what you see, your natural eyes, your spiritual eyes, and force yourself to look and see what is taking place. And when you look on the fields, you will learn something by looking at the fields. And I believe that there is something that we can learn as we look on the fields Today. We heard last week that the field represents the world and Jesus has this same uh, 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 analogy that continues throughout his teaching that the field is still the world in this circumstance and you and I, despite what the world may look like and despite how drastic we can see the world going and despite what we may think when we look at the world, there is something we can learn when we look on the fields. Lifting and looking are two things we must do. We understand that no one comes to God unless the Spirit draws them. But you and I must lift up and look. So we are going to do that this morning and look upon the field. The first thing that I can learn, the first thing that I gather when Jesus says look upon the fields, the first thing that I can learn and the challenge that I have is that Jesus is telling them to lift their vision from the immediate. He is challenging them to lift their vision from the immediate. Where they were looking on depended upon the season. Where they were looking depended upon a certain time. And Jesus is very clear to them about what season it is. He tells them that they are in the waiting stage, but it's not the waiting stage anymore. It's the actual harvest time. In fact, we find the disciples very specifically letting Jesus know what time it is. It's dinner time. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like being late for dinner. 
How many of you enjoy the experience of having dinner late? <laughs> no, because your body's telling you something's wrong. It's about that time. In fact, in, as you head up towards dinner, it's a progression, right? Maybe this is just me. It's a progression like I'm not hungry yet, but I know I'm going to get hungry. So I'm in the prepping stage. And then the first stage is coming. I think, no, I might want a snack, a pre-dinner snack. That's good, right? That's called an appetizer, right? <laughs> but there's this whole process of dinner time, and it's a, it's a certain time. And at dinner time, what happens? You have dinner, unless something else happens. And then you have to reschedule everything. And the disciples are concerned about the immediate. It tells us Jesus has a whole encounter with this lady, and we're not sure of the time frame, but the disciples have to walk into a city that they don't know. They have to get on Yelp once they get in the city. They have to find the top recommended carryouts because they're bringing the food back. So they need to find the top recommended uh, restaurants in that city. Then they have to go through all the reviews. <laughs> it's a long process. They finally purchase the food, and then they make their way back to Jesus. And by now, I don't know if they were, but I would be starving at this point. Not really, but you know what I mean. They've waited all this time, and they come to Jesus expecting, I don't know what they were expecting. I know that at least they were expecting to all sit down and eat. And Jesus changes the plans. He changes dinner time to something else because Jesus knows the times, and he knows the seasons greater than you and I do. Upon their return, their discussion and questions toward Jesus are all about their food. Their, their mind was on the immediate need and situation. And make no mistake, it was a need. The food was a need. Because all of a sudden, we can take ourselves to the extreme. I don't know if you do that, but sometimes we take ourselves to the extreme. And we read these verses and think, well, Jesus must be saying that food's not important. So I guess what are we supposed to do? Not eat anymore? No, we understand that food was important. In fact, a few chapters later, you can read the story about the miracle of the loaves and fishes. If food wasn't important, Jesus would have just said, you know what, it's your fault. You came to hear me teach and didn't bring any snacks with you. Deal with it. No, but he provided food for them because there's times and seasons for certain things. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, we find another familiar passage. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Understand that Jesus does not say we live simply by the word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, but neither do we live by bread alone. That there is a physical sustenance, that there are things that are immediate, but what we gather is there is a time and there's a place for certain things and the person who controls the time and controls the place for certain things is God now I know my desires and I know my natural uh, inclinations would push me to say it's time for this it's time for that but it is God who sets the times and it is God who sets the seasons the problem is, as with the disciples, is even though the food was not wrong, even though hunger was there, they allowed the temporal, a season, something that they needed. Yes, that was true, but they became distracted from the eternal by their temporal needs. And this is where the danger lies, is when my temporal needs cause me to be distracted from eternal situations. And Jesus is trying to pull their mind and saying, you know what, food's not wrong. Dinner's not wrong. You can take it all out of context. 
context, but what I am telling you is you need to lift your eyes and you need to lift them from the immediate and see that there is a harvest because it is harvest time now. Let me just say that you can get by with focusing on the immediate during certain times. You can get by with that. In fact, it's necessary to do that. I'm not advocating that you forget about your family. I'm not advocating that you forget about your boss and your job. I'm not advocating those things. There are times when schooling is important. When If you're in college, going to college and doing your classes and, and doing your homework is important. There are seasons. But we need to make sure that we are understanding what season God is in. And even though we may be in a season that we think, well, this is what is happening and this is what I need to do. It's family time. It's kid time. It's sending them off to college time. It's work time. We need to make sure that in the middle of every season, we are making sure and checking with God and making sure that our seasons match up and that I'm not missing the harvest that God has for me. You see, because when it's harvest time, that's a season for laying aside every temporal distraction, whether it's necessary or not. It is time to lay things aside, even those things we may consider necessary. (laughs) You see, because Jesus challenges them. He says, look up. Lift your eyes and look on the fields. And it's interesting to see that the disciples were supposed to literally lift their eyes and look from where they had just come. Because the story goes, as the disciples are coming with their carry out to Jesus, as they're coming with their food, and Jesus is looking that way, Jesus sees something that they don't see. Because out of the city is pouring a crowd of people that this lady has gone and gathered. And they are coming to see Jesus. And the disciples are oblivious to what Jesus sees. That's a dangerous place to be. That's a scary place to be. Is that there's points in my life where I can get so caught up that I'm oblivious to what Jesus sees. I'm praying that, Lord, that you would lift my eyes, that you would lift my vision, that you would help me to see, Lord, that I could turn around and see what is really taking place. Notice that Jesus does not take care of their temporal needs first. Jesus does not say, let's have dinner and then take care of the crowd. Jesus says, I want you to lay aside every distraction. I want you to lay aside everything in this moment. And I want you to lift your eyes. And I want you to look at the harvest. Because Jesus understood something the disciples didn't. Because you see, natural desires, natural food cannot quench my spiritual hunger. But spiritual food can quench my natural hunger. Jesus enters this story tired and hungry. And after he has been involved with the harvest, he's not tired anymore. He's not hungry anymore. In fact, he says there's this principle here that when I follow after God, that when I'm doing what he's doing, all of a sudden, all that rest and relaxation and things that I thought I needed, no. Now is the time for harvest. Now is the time to get involved. Now is the time to follow after what God is calling us to do, to lift our eyes, to catch a fresh vision of what God is trying to do. John chapter 4 verse 31 we read it says in the meantime while his disciples prayed him saying master eat and he said unto them I have meat to eat that you know not of. 
You know, what I really need in my life is some of that food. That's what I really need in my life. I know, I think, I know what I need. I need a day off. I just need a good vacation. I just need that. But Jesus tells them, you know what? Instead of all those things, it's harvest time. So because it's harvest time, you need to get involved in the field. You need to lift your eyes to the field. And all of a sudden, they lay aside their distractions, necessary as they may have been. They set aside dinner, and they see what God finally sees. Jesus was not speaking just in a future teaching sense about the harvest. This was not just a teachable moment that Jesus had. But Jesus was speaking literally that there is a crowd approaching them because of the woman at the well. Jesus was telling them and giving them a choice really. He's saying you can take care of what you think you need or you can partake in the harvest. And I'm faced with that choice in my life many times. There's that pull that we feel, all of us feel it, that when we're pulled between the natural and the spiritual, we're pulled between what we have to do and what we feel God is telling us to do. And the, the, the battle begins within us. As I can't leave this, but I want to do this. And that struggle begins within us. Let me just tell you that some of those things are decided by the seasons. Some of those things are decided by the seasons. That it may not be alright to leave dinner all the time. But when it's harvest time, I may need to leave dinner. It may not be okay for, our, for us to do certain things. But because of harvest time, I'm going to do it. Now, I don't know. Around here, it's pretty easy to gather when it's harvest time. If you have allergies, you don't even need to open your eyes in the morning to know that it's harvest time. <laughs> you just feel it in the air. <laughs> You know that something is stirring. Harvest time messes stuff up. It doesn't for those harvesting. Well, it does, it does mess them up too, but it messes me up as well. You know, I didn't have to worry this morning about getting slowed down on my way to church. But during harvest time, <laughs> there's a good chance I'll get slowed down. There'll probably be a combine out. It's not normal to see semis parked on the road until it's harvest time. And i got to swerve around the semis or wait for someone. It's not normal to drive past a field and see lights in the field. If it's harvest time, it's a combine. If it's not harvest time, call the police. There's probably something weird going on. Lights in the field. You could, that's your 15 minutes of fame right there. Put it on YouTube. But things change because of harvest time. Things change because of harvest time. Implicit with Jesus' words and implicit with the gospel itself is Jesus is saying, because it's harvest time, there should be an urgency that drives other things away. That there's an immediacy to the situation. You have to decide now whether you're going to eat or whether that crowd of people is going to be affected by you that's on their way. There is an urgency implicit in the gospel. And there's an urgency implicit with harvest time. That we've got to get the harvest in. It doesn't matter what time it is. It doesn't matter if I've had dinner. It doesn't matter if this is going on. I've got to get the harvest in because if I don't, the harvest may die where it is. I had an example of that in my backyard You know this past year It was a, a rainy year Well this year it started out pretty rainy too <laughs> But there's a field behind my house And, and, and the guy 
the farmer there, he was trying to get in there, and, and he got his combine stuck. Now, that's, that's pretty stuck to get the combine stuck. Those are good ruts to ride through on the four-wheeler when the combine gets stuck. <clears throat> and you know what? He didn't get all the harvest in. You know what he ended up doing with it? He plowed it under. He just came in and plowed it under. Because the harvest is there. But we have a decision to make about the harvest. That we can gather the harvest, but if we allow whatever else to take place, the harvest will remain where it is. Let me tell you, I don't want any harvest to remain where it is. I don't want any soul to stay where it is. I don't want any person to not hear about Jesus Christ because it's harvest time and I've missed the season. I'm more concerned about something else. I want the Lord to help me lift my eyes from the immediate, from the things that I may think are necessary and suddenly catch a glimpse of the harvest that God has for us. Not only did Jesus want them to look up from the immediate, but he wanted them to look around and see something. He wanted them to see what God is doing. He wanted them to see that God was working. You see, because the disciples were gone at this point, the disciples had left. They had no clue what was going on. They had no context for what was going on. All they knew is they were hungry. They left Jesus by himself. They come back and Jesus says, look, there's a crowd coming out of the city. What are you going to do? Like, man, we just went in to get some dinner. What happened here? We left you by yourself. We came back here by yourself. What in the world happened? I think it's important for us to sometimes lift our eyes, lift our vision, and to see what God is doing even when we don't know, when we don't understand, or we don't see what God is doing. You see, here's the thing that we forget about, is that we do not have to produce a harvest. We do not have the responsibility to produce a harvest. We have a responsibility to sow, to plant the seed. But we know that God gives the increase. And that while we're not working, while we don't think anything's taking place, that God is growing that seed that has been planted. It may have been planted years ago, and you may have been watering it with uh, prayers for years, but it is God that is working. When I don't see and when I don't understand and I believe that a time for reaping is about to hit this church that seeds that have been planted that tears that have been sown that prayers that have been watering that God is working in the harvest right now Jesus asks us to pray for the Lord of the harvest, that he is in charge of the harvest, but we are given one more responsibility, and that is not to produce a harvest, but we are to reap the harvest that God has for us. God is growing a harvest right now. God is doing something in hearts and lives right now. He is increasing things right now. Let me tell you what's interesting. When you look at the disciples, they had just come from that city. And all of a sudden, I would guarantee that there is somebody that they had met in that city that is now on their way out of the city. A chance encounter. Let me tell you what. You think it's just a chance encounter. You think it's just something you don't even realize what is happening. And God can take that chance encounter. God can take a word that you didn't even realize you spoke. And all of a sudden he can do something. I believe that we're going to turn around one day. And we're going to see people that we've passed every day. People that we know. Friends. Neighbors. And God has grown a harvest. I want to make sure I'm in the field. Ready to reap the harvest that God has for this church and for this community. 
I understand that I cannot make a harvest, that I cannot conjure up a harvest, that I cannot grow a harvest in and of myself. But don't forget that God is always looking to produce a harvest, that God is always seeking and saving the lost, that He is always looking for somebody. And so while I may not see anything happening, while I may not know anything that's going on, while it seems like I left Jesus by Himself at a well, all I need to do is make sure I'm in the field. And when He says, lift your eyes get ready to harvest I believe that God is calling us to lift our eyes that he is calling us to look on the fields that he is calling us to lift our vision and see what he has been doing you see God still stands and looks at the multitudes with compassion because they are scattered with no shepherd I'm not saying that God is not concerned about you I'm not saying that he's not concerned about your needs and your situations. I believe he is. And we've experienced that here today. I'm glad I'm not alone. I'm glad that I don't go through a salvation experience and God says, all right, done with that one, on to the next. (laughs) Now, we may do that. Anyway, back over here. But God doesn't do that. God doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. You are his child. And scripture tells us he knows how to give good gifts. And so I believe that God, is, his eye is still on us. That his eye is still on you. That it's still on your situation. But never forget that his heartbeat is about increasing the harvest. He so loved the world that he sent his son into this world to increase the harvest. And God never quits working in the harvest. While we sit here today, and I think you should be sitting here today. I think you should be in church. But never forget, while we are sitting here today, God is in the harvest right now. That there's somebody calling out to God. And God is right there. That he's stirring a heart right now. That he's visiting people right now as we sit here today. Because God never quits caring about the harvest. He never quits looking in the harvest. He never quits reaching for a soul. So that means even when my focus and my attention may be turned elsewhere, even while I may be out looking for dinner, God is still looking in the harvest. I think it's important for us to look around and see what Jesus does all without us. (laughs) That he really doesn't need our help, but he chooses to partner with us. Jesus got a whole crowd to come out and see him through one woman that nobody wanted to listen to. Now, he didn't look for the influencer. He didn't go talk to the mayor. He didn't try to get a proclamation and get in with all the big wigs. He found one woman that nobody cared about, and a city came out to see him. God doesn't need you to create the harvest, but he does want you to reap the harvest that he has. He does want you to lift your vision and see that he's moving when I don't know that he's reaching when I don't see him reaching. Even when you don't think God is moving and working, He's doing something because His concern is the harvest. I think it's amazing because we look around and think, man, I know God's doing stuff, but I'm not sure what God's doing. I mentioned it a few weeks ago, getting into the sabermetrics, but I, I, I went into them a little bit deeper, not a whole lot, just a little bit more. I mentioned people who have been baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost, and I found this. I looked just a little bit farther. I looked all the way back to 2000. Who remembers the year 2000? Right? That was a bad year, wasn't it? Still finishing off those canned beans from 2000. 
From 2000 to 2016, 80 people received the Holy Ghost in this church. In 16 years, 80 people received the Holy Ghost in this church. I'm thankful for what God does. I'm thankful for the way that God moves. I'm thankful that he still is reaching, that he's still pulling. Maybe you remember from a few weeks ago I mentioned this. In three years, 2017, 18, and 19, in 16 years, 80 people were filled with the Holy Ghost. In three years, 75 people were filled with the Holy Ghost. Let me tell you, God's not done with the harvest. God has not quit. In fact, God is pushing in the harvest like never before. He is doing something, and he's asking for people to get in the field, to lift up your vision. Look, I'm doing something. Turn around and see. There's a crowd coming. God is bringing a crowd to this church. He's bringing a crowd to your life. He's just waiting on you to lift your vision and see what God is already doing. Oh, we heard it Wednesday. I'm believing not just for 25 in a year or 50 in a year. I'm believing for God to start adding to this church every single day that we meet on a Sunday. And there's people that weren't here last Sunday. There's people we don't know. And God's been baptizing and filling with the Holy Ghost. I'm believing that that's what God sees in the harvest. I believe that that's what God has in this community. Sometimes, oh, I just need to be reminded to look up and see what God is doing all without me. That he's still drawing on men's hearts. That he's still filling with the Holy Ghost. That he's still reaching into the darkest areas and still shining the light in our community. And lastly, sometimes we have to lift our eyes, not just from our immediate concerns. Sometimes we have to lift our eyes and see what God is doing. But sometimes we have to lift our eyes and look up from the field. From the field. Seems an odd thing, but I believe this is where God wants to challenge us with his words today. Lift up your eyes from the field. Lifting my vision from the field. I believe that God has put us where he wants us. I believe that if you're not sure if you're where, you're where God wants you to be, you need to pray and get that settled. That you're where God wants you to be. Because if I'm where God wants me to be, then I need to start doing what God wants me to do. <laughs> I believe that we should work where God has placed us. He puts us someplace and He gives us a purpose in that place. We've got to do all we can to fulfill His purpose in that place. But when we look at Jesus' words right before He leaves His disciples, we find something interesting. Again, another familiar passage, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Jesus tells His disciples to go wait. And He says, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. I'm thankful for the Holy Ghost. I'm thankful that God still fills with the Holy Ghost. And I believe that God fills with the Holy Ghost and He can fill someone today with the Holy Ghost. I'm thankful for the power that we have. I'm thankful that He says, you shall receive power. That there's power to overcome in my life. That there's healing power contained when I pray because of the Holy Ghost. That there is power inside of you today because of the Holy Ghost. 
You need to realize the power that is in you because Jesus promised that when you receive the Holy Ghost, there's a dynamic power. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells inside of you. And I believe that. (laughs) That there's power. The Holy Ghost is real. And I believe that I should be a witness. I believe that because I have power and because I have the Holy Ghost, I should be a witness that there's something about my life that should change because of the Holy Ghost. That my life itself becomes a witness because I don't go through situations the same way because I've got the comforter. That I don't approach people the same way because I've got a love that's not of this world. I believe that I should be a witness in this world with my actions and with my words. Jesus promises all of these things. And they promised that the power and the Holy Ghost, those were promises that we have. And he said, I'm going to give you them for a reason, to be a witness. And we see if we believe all of those things, we find something else in this passage. That that being a witness has a pattern to it. It has a pattern of expansion. A pattern of expansion. (laughs) Did you know the Holy Ghost is not just for you? Did you know that when you were filled with the Holy Ghost, it wasn't just for you? Understand, it was for you, but it wasn't just for you. That there's a pattern of expansion with the Holy Ghost. And there's all kind of ways that you can talk about this. That it starts with you, and then it goes to your immediate family, and then it goes to those surrounding, then it goes to your friends and your acquaintances. Let me tell you, the Holy Ghost should be expanding your influence in your life. It should be expanding the people that it reaches in your life. People around you should be experiencing the Holy Ghost that you have received because the Holy Ghost naturally goes to expansion. It doesn't go to smaller and insular. It goes to expansion. That when you receive the Holy Ghost, God gave you the Holy Ghost to have power and to have salvation, but also to expand and shed light to those around you. Like a drop of water, there is a natural expansion and effect. That yes, the drop hits hardest where it hits. And the most influence and the biggest uh, uh, influence that it has is exactly where the drop of water hits. But there's a ripple effect. There is an expansion that is noticed beyond just where the water drops. We understand that the disciples at this point, they didn't even understand what was going on. They didn't have a clue what was taking place. That They were in Jerusalem. They received the Holy Ghost in Jerusalem. They started the church in Jerusalem. But Jesus very plainly said, the church is not supposed to stay isolated in Jerusalem. Jesus told them the Holy Ghost would give them the power to grow. To grow spiritually. To grow numerically. To grow geographically. He said, I've given you power and it's power to grow. So I need to make sure if I'm walking in the Spirit, that means that I'm growing in the Spirit. That I'm expanding not just who I am, but my influence and my witness needs to expand. And the book of Acts is a demonstration of the words of Jesus Christ. If we say this is how they baptized and this is what they did for salvation and this is where they spoke in tongues because that's what they took Jesus' words to mean, then we must also look at what the church did with the words that Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. And you know what they did? They didn't make it some metaphysical, metaphorical understanding. No, they took it in a literal sense that we have the Holy Ghost to grow 
grow. And so we're going to spread wherever we can. We're going to do whatever we can. And sometimes they didn't really like it. And sometimes they weren't really sure. But they knew that Jesus said, I'm going to give you power. And you're going to be witnesses everywhere you go, starting here and going to the uttermost parts of the earth. Sometimes we need to be reminded to look up from the field. To raise our vision from the field. Because Jesus' words were prophetic. Not pathetic, but prophetic. When he challenges his disciples in John chapter 4, he could simply have referenced the coming crowd. He could have just said, Hey, while you were out getting dinner, I'll witness to someone. Now look, there's a bunch of people coming out of that city. And you know what? They would have turned and seen the same people as when he said, the harvest is white and ready to harvest. Turn around and look. (laughs) You know, some people that write books really aren't that smart. They just wrote a book. (laughs) I did read one spot where the reason that Jesus said, look on the fields because they're white and ready to be harvested is because everyone that was coming out of the town was wearing white clothes. I think it's time to write a book. I could come up with that. He could have simply referenced the coming crowd. But as that harvest was coming towards the disciples out of a Samaritan city that was not a place the disciples ever thought they'd end up, as that harvest was coming towards them, Jesus spoke prophetically because he saw an even greater harvest in the future. He didn't just see a crowd. That's not what he was talking He meant that crowd right there. But he was seeing way much more than just that crowd. That's why Jesus tells them to look up, to lift your eyes, and look on not the crowd, not the field, but look on the fields. I know it's just one S, which just reminds me, yesterday there was quizzing, and Cooper was quoting a verse, and the last word was C's. And he ended by saying C. Got that S in there. Because there's a difference between the singular and the plural. Let me just tell you, Jesus, there was a singular crowd coming towards them. But Jesus was not just saying, hey, you've got a job with this crowd to do. He was saying, there's fields that I have ready for you. There's more than one. There's places I'm going to take you that you don't realize, that you don't understand, that you can't comprehend at this moment. But God, I believe, is telling us to lift our eyes and look on the fields, to lift our eyes and see that there's places we never thought we would go, areas we never thought we would reach but he's already been there preparing the fields for us he wanted them to know that there's more than one field out there and that one field was enough to blow their mind but I preached about it a few weeks ago he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think so let me tell you as big as your dreams are for what God wants to do with the harvest it's nothing compared with what God really wants to do with the harvest as many fields as you can think about God has more fields that he's working in right now Now let me just say, he's not calling us to neglect the field that we are in. He's not calling us to do that. Let me remind you, they didn't all leave Jerusalem. There were some still there. So this is not about leaving the field where they were and everyone picking up and moving somewhere else now. No, there was a spreading, but he wanted every area affected. 
We're not about to lose sight of the field that God has called us to. We're not about to lose sight that God has called us to this community. That He has called us to Salem. And that God is working. That God is moving. That God is preparing hearts and lives. And there's a harvest in this city. And it's people that you know. It's your loved ones. It's your families. It's your kids. God is preparing a harvest in this community. But He also has more than one harvest. In more than one place. And I believe the challenge for you and I is to lift our vision and look on the fields. This church has, I want to commend this church for giving to global missions. This church gave over $50,000 last year to global missions. You did. I think we... We have missionaries from this church. We've sent young people on mission trips. And I I believe that we can reach the world even if we can't go by giving and sending other people. I believe and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for offerings and for North American missions of, of helping people plant churches in North America. I'm thankful that we are involved with that, that you are involved with that. But I do believe that God is calling us to lift our eyes and look on the fields that surround us too. Let me tell you, I want to say thank you to those as well who minister in this church to those far-flung fields, the marginalized fields. I'm thankful to everyone who's going to a nursing home every Sunday, who's teaching Bible studies in nursing homes. I'm thankful that people are getting baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost in that field. I'm thankful for somebody who lifted their eyes and had a vision greater and saw a field that nobody else saw and thought, you know what, that could be a waste of time. But God had a harvest in that field. You know what happens when we lift our eyes and enter the field? We get a harvest because God has a harvest ready for us. I'm thankful for those who minister in our Celebrate Recovery every Friday that teach home Bible studies with those involved with Celebrate Recovery, that those are people that society may marginalize and say, you know what, we wash our hands of certain people and because of things they've done. But there's people who give their time and energy and prayers to people who seem like have no hope, and now they sit with hope today. There's a harvest in that field. God is calling us to the harvest. He hasn't quit working. He hasn't quit moving. Let me tell you, I'm thankful to every person who works with our children, to those who pick up kids that we don't even know sometimes where their parents are, that are marginalized and society could give up all hope on because they have no hope. But there's people every Wednesday and every Sunday ministering to our kids because there's a harvest in that field. And let me challenge all of you right now that are working in those areas, don't quit, don't give up, don't quit going. You may just be sowing right now, but God's work. He's doing something that you may not see. Oh, but you're going to turn around one day and there's going to be a crowd coming out of the city. You don't know how they got there, but it was only because of God. He's the Lord of the harvest. God is calling us to lift our vision to the fields. I've prayed for over a year personally, Lord, lift my vision. Lift my vision. Because really what I want to do is see how Jesus sees. We heard about it last week. I want to look at people and see treasure. I want to look at fields and I want to see a harvest. I don't want to see a mob. Dressed all in white trying to figure out where that cult's going. 
I want to see a harvest. I want to look at the jail and see a harvest. I want to drive by a school and see a harvest. I want to drive by a nursing home and see a harvest. And if you're interested in that, we, they sent out a message to all the churches. The manor, the, their, uh, their, uh, part that deals with, with I that's, that's hilarious. The part that deals with memory loss that I couldn't remember. They sent out a letter to every church and said, we will take any person at any time that will come and minister to this section of our nursing home. Assisted living. If you're looking for a harvest, they're asking you to come and get a harvest. God's calling us to enter the fields, to lift up our eyes from the field, lift our vision to the fields. That's why this Pentecost Sunday, we're really going to enter the fields. It's Pentecost Sunday. We're going to go into the fields. See, because sometimes we're real good about people coming, but God calls us to go. He doesn't say don't. He's all about whoever walks through the doors. Man, you need to love them because I've brought them there. But he also tells us to go into the fields. Sometimes the harvest isn't in your house. It's in the field. In fact, Jesus says, he left us a prayer request. He said, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. But I find it interesting that while we're supposed to pray, the very next words that Jesus uttered was, make sure you're praying about the harvest. And then the very next thing he says is, go into the harvest. I send you. So my praying doesn't uh, cause me to not be in the harvest. I pray and go. Let me tell you what we're doing this Pentecost Sunday. We're going to have a special service here on Pentecost Sunday. And I believe God's going to pour out His Spirit in an unprecedented way in this church, in this gym, May 31st. We're not just going to have it, uh, we're not just going to mention this here and then May 31st show up on Sunday and say, who'd you bring? No, we're talking about really getting involved. We're going to plan this. We're going to have people involved with this. We're going to knock doors. We're going to tell people. We're going to do whatever we can to gather a harvest. We're going to work in this field because God has called us here. And we're going to pray, reach out, do whatever we have to do. But we're also going to lift our vision to the fields. Not losing sight that God has called us to Salem, a town of 8,000 people that seems daunting. Yeah, it's a small town, but then when I think about 8,000 people in a building, that's a lot of people. But let me tell you, I believe that the Holy Ghost pushes us to grow. Have you ever thought that God may be calling us to 38,000 people in Marion County? He's asking us to lift our eyes to the fields. It doesn't mean we neglect people here. No, he's called us to work here. But he's called us to expand. If he said, the first thing he said about the Holy Ghost is you're going to be a witness and you're going to go from here to here to here to here. And I believe everything else that he said about the Holy Ghost. Why do I not believe that it still pushes me to expand from here to here to here? A few months ago, I don't know if you remember Brother Hagin was with us in a revival. And he mentioned specifically, he said, God wants to use this church to do an uncommon work in this county. 
him not knowing. I hadn't spoken to him until that Sunday. I talked to him a little bit about it afterwards, but not everything. The week before, the very week before, God had spoken to me and is clear a confirm, a con, uh, in, in confirmation of what he'd been speaking to me about this county. And then he came and said, no, I know a lot of people have come and said God's got to work in this community. But he said God wants to use this church in this county. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the field went from 8,000 to 38,000 people that God has called us to reach, that are hurting, that are hopeless. And God has given you the power to reach those people. And I didn't think, man, I'm, I'm leaving Salem. That's not what I thought. No, I thought, you know what? I've been praying, God, lift my vision. Lord, let, lift my vision to see what you see. And all of a sudden, I saw Salem. And I saw other places. All of a sudden, I began to lift my eyes and see the field around us. So this Pentecost Sunday, we're going to the fields. We've already started to work in Carlisle. The rights have been going over there every Sunday with other people. And I believe that God is going to reap a harvest. There is a harvest in Carlisle. So we're going to have church here on Sunday morning. And then that afternoon, we're going to go to Carlisle. And we're going to have church in Carlisle and believe God for a harvest. And, and the Wilmots are going to be helping the rights get all that together on Pentecost Sunday, believing that God has a harvest in Carlisle. I know it's not Marion County. I, I get that. But God has called us to lift our eyes to the fields. There's people everywhere. And while that service is going on, we're going to have Brother Kevin and Miranda in the ambulance. They're going to be in Iuka, and they're going to be having a service that Sunday as well. And from that point forward, we're going to have a midweek house group in Iuka because God has called us to reach the fields. Oh yeah, we're going to see people filled with the Holy Ghost here. But God's calling us to Carlisle. God's calling us to Iuka. God's calling us to Alma. <laughs> oh, I know there's only 400 people there. That's, that's almost twice as much as here right now. God's calling us, and we're going to have a service. Cheyenne's going to be helping us, and we're going to be having a revival service on Pentecost Sunday that afternoon in Alma. And God's going to fill people with the Holy Ghost there because God's got a harvest there. Oh, come on. I'm challenging you to lift your eyes, lift your vision, and see what God sees. Oh, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I'm believing on Pentecost Sunday that across these services, God's going to fill at least 50 people with the Holy Ghost, that He's going to transform four communities through the power of the Holy Ghost. Oh, in Jesus' name. Come on, He's telling us to look. Look what's coming out of the city. There's a crowd coming. I've been working and you didn't even know it. Join me in the harvest. Oh, in Jesus' name. Oh, in Jesus' name. And this has nothing to do with lifting ourselves up. This has to do with the harvest. That God has called us to do something. And every single person in this place is going to have an opportunity to be involved in the harvest. We're not just going to hear about the treasure. We're not just going to hear about the fields. But we're going to find treasure. We're going to get involved in the harvest. In two weeks... 
In two weeks after service on January the 26th, in two weeks, we're going to have stations set up for each of these communities. And you're going to have a chance to sign up to be involved in Salem, in Carlisle, in Iuka, or in Alma. We need people on outreach teams. We need prayer warriors for every community. We need people with promotions. We need people to help greet those that are there. We need music people. We need musicians. God is calling all of us to lift our vision. Well, hey, I can't play here. Maybe God's calling you to the harvest in Alma. Well, I can't do this here. You know what? There's a field. If you're a willing laborer, God will put you in a field. God is calling us to lift our vision in 2020. He is calling us to look on the fields in 2020. He is calling us to affect this county. He's calling us to Samaria and Judea. Oh, let's give God praise one more time. And I close as the musicians come. And I'm not going to apologize for time. I've prayed for a year about this, so I'm cramming it all into a short amount of time. All of this hinges on the question and answer from Jesus. He says, there are yet four months. You say, and and there are yet four months, and then come with the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. There are yet four months. Some people feel this was a common expression of the day, meaning that ah, there's a little bit of time. There's a little bit of time. The harvest is coming, but we got a little bit of time right now. One place I read, it said there was a a comfortable hope. A comfortable hope. There's a longing expectation of the harvest. And there's this comfortable hope. There's a moment that comes. There's a moment we read about in the disciples' life. When the call comes... And the season changes. I don't even have time to get all that Jesus said about sowing and reaping. And those that sow and those that reap are going to rejoice together because they're all involved. And and this message, man, I I couldn't even take the time to thank all the people that have sown in this field and the field surrounding. People that already live in these communities and there's people that know who God is because of you. I can't even go into thanking everyone for the, the hours and prayers that have been sown. But we're challenged, I'm reminded, and Brother Gene mentioned it Wednesday night, the parable of the wedding, when the master sends out an invitation to his friends. Guy says, I just got married, I can't come. I just got some cows, I can't come. I just bought some some land, I can't come. What they didn't understand was it, it wasn't that what they had done was wrong. It's that somewhere in the middle of doing it, Jesus had changed the season. That there is a season for sowing, but there's also a season for reaping. There's a season to buy things and get married, but there's a, a season to join the master in the feast. And Jesus asked them the question. He says, it said there's four months to harvest. But the question that they were faced with, and you or I were, are faced with today, 
Because we mentioned lifting our eyes from the immediate. That doesn't mean that the things we're doing is bad or that we can't ever do those things again or give up all those things for life. The question is, is do you believe it's harvest time? Do you believe it's the time for harvest? And if it is, then I have to make some changes. That doesn't mean that for the rest of their life the disciples never ate. That doesn't mean that they never cared about their families anymore and never concerned about their jobs anymore. It doesn't mean any of that. But it meant God was calling them to the season of harvest. And because it was that season, things had to change. They couldn't continue the way they were. Gives us this idea of this comfortable hope. It was something in the future, the harvest, that could be looked forward to. I'm thankful for hope. It was something to be anticipated, hoped for, longed for. And I think we should hope for things. I think we should anticipate things. I think think we should live in expectation. I think we should live in expectation of promises that God has made in our own lives and in in, in the life of this church. I, I think we should live in expectation of a harvest of our families and in this community. I think we should do that. Because hope gives me a reason to keep going, even when it gets tough. To keep praying, even though it seems like nothing's happening. To keep reaching, even though it seems like nothing is going on. Hope allows me to do that. And living in expectation can be an exciting place, wondering what may happen, what could happen. When we talk about, man, having a service here and having a service there, and people coming here and building a building, and Man, we can't contain and then build. It just, your mind starts going crazy and you can't, you can't imagine. It's an exciting place because faith begins to build. Faith is stirred and something begins to happen. And, and we say, yes, we can do that. I expect God to do that. I believe God can do that. But I felt God challenge me and challenge us. There's a danger of constantly living in expectation without fulfillment. Let me tell you this. I know this may be shocking, but God does not give promises to us for us to simply live in a constant state of hope and belief. God gives promises so fulfillment can happen. If God's promised you something, if He's promised you something about your kids or your life or ministry, He didn't just tell you that so you can constantly live in expectation of one day. He gave you that promise so that He would fulfill that promise. And the danger is we become so wrapped up in the anticipation, we begin to say, are there not not yet four months? It's a comfortable hope. It's not no hope, it's a comfortable hope. Oh, we all believe one day God's going to do something. God's going to do something one day. And Jesus says, look, right now there's a crowd coming. Right now. You're saying four months and walking out of the gates of that city is a crowd. Right now. Are you willing to suspend the anticipation of the future to realize what God is doing now? 
You know what, there's, there's, there's visions and, and all kinds of things and prophecies that God has given this church. We heard about one Wednesday, Sister Moore having a vision and people just flooding through the back doors uh, of, of every race, every creed, every all diverse people flooding through the doors. You know what, that excites me. That, that stirs me thinking about, man, people just pouring through the doors. But you know what, I'm not just believing for someday, I'm believing that God's going to fulfill that promise. In fact, I was, I was sharing uh, something on my computer with Brother Gene. It was some pictures of something, and it was on a program called Evernote that I just started using again. And I happened to click. I haven't used it for years, since 2015. And I just happened to click while I was sharing that with him. I was multitasking, and I clicked on a staff retreat from 2014. I had some notes from there. Nothing good's happened since then. I quit taking notes. In 2014, at a staff retreat, Brother Gene shared a prophecy he'd received that this church would double in size. I'm believing that, first of all. I'm believing that for this church, that God is going to double this church. I remember at a camp meeting service that Brother Gene and I both stood believing that God would give this community a hundred soul revival in this community. We claimed it in Jesus' name. We received a word last year just from Brother Hagen that God wants to do an uncommon thing in our county. We've had prophecies about financial miracles and God blessing. Let me tell you, God wants us to believe and expect and hope, but he did not give us those words to simply believe, to simply expect, to simply hope that someday God will do it. I'm here to tell you, four months is not down the road. God is doing something right now. Harvest is now. I'm believing people to pour through the doors now. I'm believing God to double us now. I'm believing for financial miracles now. Oh, it's not because I'm tired of waiting. It's because I know that he's a promise keeper. I know that he's the Lord of the harvest. I know that he's moving and doing something. I know and I believe that God's word is true, that he is faithful to perform it. And if I believe that, then at some point, God is going to fulfill his word. I am not going to live as the Jews lived. Entrenched in expectation. They were so entrenched in expectation that Jesus Christ was born, lived his life, and died. And they woke up the next day anticipating the coming Messiah. And they still are today. They're living in expectation. Hope is in their hearts. And they're so entrenched in expectation that they missed the answer. Let me tell you, I'm not going to just anticipate the harvest and just keep looking for one day. I'm going to believe that God is calling us to the harvest today. That God is saying, lift your eyes today. Lift your vision today. Look on the field today. Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I haven't seen any of those prophecies I mentioned to you. I hope for them. My faith is the evidence of that. It's the substance. It's what my hope is made up of. Those promises are made up of my faith. So I can't lose faith. Faith is the foundation 
It's the existence for those promises. And James tells us that faith without works is dead. So you know what? I'm no longer going to believe that God has a harvest and just believe. My faith, my faith in that word and in who God is pushes me not just to believe it, but to now enter the field and demonstrate my faith that he has a harvest. My faith is the substance of things hoped for. I can't just believe that people are going to pour through that door while I do nothing. I can't just believe that there's going to be a hundred soul revival and me just sit here. No, my faith pushes me to do something about it. And so we're going to do something about it. I know we can't, I, I've, I hope I've stated it plainly, you can't manufacture a revival. You can't manufacture God doing something. But I hope you hear the Spirit saying to you today, not just me, but I hope you hear the Spirit saying to you today, lift your vision and look on the fields today. I'm doing something. I'm working and I'm calling you into the field. And if you believe that God has promises for this church, if you believe that God has promises in your family, if you believe that God has a harvest in your children, then God is calling you not just to believe, but to put action behind those words. And who knows? The treasure's in the field. Who knows? When I go to Alma or Iuka or Carlisle and someone gets the Holy Ghost that may be the person who preaches the sermon where my kid prays back through that's what we're talking about I know it's not the harvest that I think I should no but I'm going to get in the harvest and when I get in the harvest God's going to give the increase He's going to work He's going to fulfill promises where I didn't think promises could be fulfilled I'm going to enter the harvest I challenge you today enter the harvest lift your vision the challenge is over these next two weeks I want you I want you to pray about where God wants you to enter the harvest. Every young person, child, I don't care who you are. We're going to need people everywhere. This church has enough people, has enough talents, has enough abilities to do what God has called us to do. And God is calling each one of us to a harvest. Whether you want to join the Wrights in Carlisle or whether you want to join Kevin and Miranda in Iuka or whether you want to be a part of a team here in Salem or whether you want to join us in Alma. God is calling you to join the harvest somewhere. I simply have to answer that question. Is there four months? Or is the harvest now? It's the harvest now. I want us to pray right now all together. Lord Jesus, we come before you. Lord, I believe your voice has spoken to us today. Lord, you confirmed your word at the very start. You said we're not alone. And we're not entering the harvest alone. We're not going to let the harvest dawn us. 8,000 seems dawning, never mind the county. But Lord, you're with us. And Lord, you are preparing where we don't see. Lord, I believe that you're touching hearts in Carlisle right now. Lord, that you're moving on hearts in Iuka, that you're moving on hearts in Alma. You're moving in lives and homes here in Salem right now, that you are preparing right now, God. Lord, we've been planting seed and planting seed and prayers and 
Those don't go unnoticed, and we've been praying for laborers. But Lord, I pray that challenge would go to us now. That in all our praying, we don't forget to go. And Lord, you are calling us to go into the harvest, to lift our eyes to the fields, to lay aside the immediate. I'm going to open this altar this morning. If God is challenging you about the harvest, I'm warning you right now, entering the harvest means a little bit of change. It means I might have to do some things different in my life. I might have to lay some things aside for a while. But if it's harvest time and God has called me to the harvest, then I've got to do what He's called me to do. I've got to expand. I've got to grow. Come on, God's calling young people. God's calling families right now. God's calling saints who you didn't know what you were supposed to be doing. Let me tell you what you can do is you can get involved in the harvest. There's a place for you. The harvest doesn't turn anyone away. Oh, I ask you to join me in this altar and just talk to God for a while. Come on, I pray a challenge in the Spirit has gone forth to you.